Hello, I'm Scott Soshner. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to The Sportacast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. See, you wimped out because... Our guest is on with us. Normally, Mark, Eben will try and say this is the something, you know, like some sort of descriptor. The of NBA the champion. Yeah, exactly. This is the Bucks fantastic sportacast. But he did nothing because you're sitting here with us. So you want to try it, Mark? How about we've never done this with a guest? So if you're going to say, <laughs> and this is the something sportacast, what would it be right now, Mark? Oh, wow. Put you on the spot. Uh, All right. Our guest, by the way, is Mark Lassery, co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. So we're going to let you have free reign to open the show. Okay. Um, you're now listening to the owner of the NBA champions, the Milwaukee Bucks. It's actually nice to say. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's not going to get old for a while. <laughs> yeah. Have you said it out loud yet? Like NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks, the owner of that team? No, it's uh, no, just like I think. Mainly when I'm kidding around with my kids, I'm like, can you believe we won? Isn't that amazing? So, um, yeah, it's been cool. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet it's been cool. That might be the understatement of the week right there. It's been cool. It's been it's been fun. Um, let me take you back, though, because I, I said this on Twitter not long ago, and I got a lot of reaction because if people don't really follow this, the business of it all that that closely, I said, when you guys bought the Bucks, that's, you know, West Season's Jamie Dynan, when you guys got together and bought the Bucks for $550 million, more bankers in the in the industry that I know were perplexed and rolled their eyes at that number for that team than Steve Ballmer's $2 billion for the LA Clippers. They were like, this is insane. There's no return on investment. Please help me. What did you see that they all missed? Well, I think, I think when we bought the team, the hope was that um, two years from that date, uh, the new TV contract was going to get signed. So I think what people missed is that the, the way you get your revenue in the NBA is threefold. You have a, your national contract, your local TV contract, and then you get ticket sales and sponsorship. Those are really the three. Um, we knew you were going to end up having a new TV, national TV contract in two years, and then three years we'd have our local. Um, so you're one of 30 teams. So it doesn't make a difference whether you're Milwaukee or you're the Clippers, you end up getting one thirtieth of that. So we thought it would be double that amount. So we believed at the time that a couple years from when we bought it, um, if the new TV contract was about two times, 
um, then whatever we paid for the team would be a little bit would be worth more than what we paid for it. That sounds simple because again, I, I know I follow this real, uh, kind of closely, but I could have told you that the, the national TV deal was going to 2x. I'm not sure I would have looked ahead even further and said maybe 2x, 3x again. So you must really be giddy. But what is your take just as you look on the media horizon where, where sports are and how important that content is to not only the linear networks, but now you've got the competition from the streaming services as well? I think right now what everybody wants is really content. So um, we have a new contract that's going to come up. I don't know what the value of that will be. I hope it's higher. Um, but I think what we've all found in the last um, five years is that live sports is paramount, right? And that everybody wants that content. It's actually one of the few things you can't record. Try recording a live sporting event. And then let's say you want to watch it an hour, you know, two hours later or when you get home. It's actually really hard for one simple reason, because um, I do it. Uh, sometimes I'll go out with friends to dinner and I want to see one of our games. So I don't know what happened. You know, I don't want to know what happened. Problem is you can't even look at your phone. I mean, if you look at your phone, you get alerts, you get everything. The Olympics is trying this right now. NBC is putting in primetime events that have happened 13 hours earlier. And Scott and I were talking about this in the office today. It becomes impossible to watch the primetime thing if if you know what's happened 13 hours earlier. Mark, can you imagine I was pulling my hair out last night because my wife does somehow manage to avoid contact with the outside world. I don't know how this happens. (laughs) So she is on the edge of the couch last night watching Simone Biles. Meanwhile, I know she doesn't have the bat. I know she stumbles. I know she steps out. It was like, I'm like, isn't that three weeks ago? But it really was frustrating. But you're right. It's the matter of it has to be live. It has to be now. Yeah, it just does. I think I think we were too tethered to our phones and you're getting messages and then you just get the ESPN alerts. So it's kind of hard. So I think, I mean, you can do it, but it's very, very hard. So I think that's why there is this tremendous demand for live sports. Before we move forward to, to, to this season, I have another question about 2014, back when you guys bought the team. Uh, Giannis had been drafted, I believe, the, the year before. Yeah. Pe- people don't buy teams because of who's on the roster at that moment. But I'm curious kind of what you remember from back then about, about him, if he was a part of your thinking if he if you had a feeling he was going to be a star or if it was just another player that that the team has rights to no i mean i think um we met Giannis, and at the time he was a skinny little kid um and i remember our you know the gm at the time um ended up saying to me because we were there at night and you know we had gone to do our due diligence and we go check out the practice facility and then you're seeing the the bradley center and, you know, he said, you see that kid over there? That kid works harder than anybody anybody else on this team. He's always here shooting, practicing, lifting weights. Um, he's going to be good. And we're like, okay, great. You know, I mean, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> that was really it. I, I, I wish I could tell you, oh, that's the reason we did it. But it was much more um, the, what we saw in the team was that the team was last in everything. I mean, it was the worst team in the league. It was out of 30 teams, it was like 30th in ticket sales. Thirty. I mean, it was everything. The only thing we were good at or the Bucks were good at, I think they were like 14th in beer sales. 
Hmm. Right. That seems and right. That was it. <laughs> Shlemiel Shlemazel. <laughs> so um, th- there was a lot of room to grow. Let me ask you though, Mark, because you hear a lot about like the private equity breed of owner that's coming in. You bought the team from from Herb Cole. And is it really evident of that, the difference between what, you know, you, you paid a, a lower amount, he treated it as sort of a, a, a community trust. You know, Herb was busy in the U.S. Senate, but when you hear like it was last in everything, what, was he not mindful of those other things? Did he not care so much if he lost a penny or two on the bucks? Because now when you pay five fifty and up, the price point for entry, you need to make some money. You need to make sure that these teams are spitting out the revenue. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think uh, Senator Cole is a great guy, and I think um, I got to be pretty close to him. Um, I think he did a he did a lot for the community. Um, I think when we came in, um, and I think what private equity folks do is they try to find the best folks, um, in the business to start off for you. So, you know, we brought in Peter Fagan to help on the business side, um, and sort of said, look, we need to double our revenue and we need to do certain things. And, and part of it, and look, and part of all this is, um, you need to win. And if you're winning, shockingly, people show up, right? And people will come. So I think that was a lot of it. I'm not, I'm not saying the center didn't want to win. I think he did. But there was a focus that we brought to it um, and that we were willing to spend money. Um, we were willing, you know, look, the practice facility is a prime example. Um, I remember when see it, it was, uh, it was in a nunnery. And, you know, we used this gym and when it rained, it would leak. I mean, they had buckets on the court. Here's an NBA practice facility. Uh, So, I mean, we, you know, one of the things we did is right away build a new practice facility and that costs money, right? And then you build a new stadium and that costs money, obviously. But you had to do a number of things. And I think Senator Cole, to his credit, uh, knew that he wasn't going to be able to do those things. Um, and I, and I think part of it is just energy. You know, you're 80 years old. I think he looked at it and said, it's time for somebody else who's going to come in and sort of bring some new life. Um, but he demanded that when we bought the team that you couldn't move the team, right? Which, um, and and there was a focus on that with him where he wanted to make sure that we kept everything here. Um, so I, I, I actually thank the center for a lot of the things that he did for us. Yeah, I, I chuckle, by the way, how you just so matter-of-factly said, when we spoke to Peter Fagan, we said, you need to double revenue. Oh, is that all? So he, he either he was supremely confident in his abilities to do this, or he understood that there was a lot of opportunity there, particularly for an ownership group that was willing to invest and do something like build a new facility. Because uh, obviously, the building, a real estate play, media play, you want something else more than just a team. So the, the building provided you an opportunity to certainly generate revenue. It did. And look, the funny part is, um, you know, when we were saying we needed to build a new arena, so many people would come to me and say, look, this one's fine. I don't think you need to, you don't need to do anything. I don't understand why you're doing that. I'm like, I know, but still, <laughs> it'd be better if we had a new arena. They're like, man, this is Wisconsin. This is fine. And 
Now, nobody could even think back to what the old arena is. You know, you've got 100,000 people outside watching games. I mean, it, it's night and day, but it's hard to bring about change, right? And and you got to do it and you got to believe that once you do it, things will change. Uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been a fun road. We're speaking with Mark Lasry, co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. And Mark, we talk a lot on the show about how winning a championship doesn't drastically change the valuation of your franchise overnight. But I, I'm curious, what's different about your business, the fact that you guys beat the Suns as, as opposed to losing earlier in the playoffs? Moving forward, is it a ticket sales thing? Is it a local media revenue thing? What changes because you are now NBA champions? Well, the only thing that's really going to change um, – is sort of your ticket sales, right? Uh, I think right now what you'll find is there'll be more people who are going to want season tickets, right? So you'll you'll find your ticket sales move up. The How big is that are, bump, do you think? Is it another 10%? Is it another 20%? I don't know. We're going to find out. I, it'll be interesting. Well, I think I, I, as the consumer side here, though, I must interject. Are prices going up for for season ticks, individual ticks, and sponsorship? Does the price go up for association with the Bucks? No, I think ticket sales, I think every year ticket sales move up, right? So I don't I don't think that's really the focus. The focus is really, can we get more season ticket holders? So I think it'll be 10 or 20% at least. And that actually gives you a great base because that means it's easier to be sold out, which is really what you need. If you've got, if you start off and say you've got 17,000 seats, and 12,000 already sold, so you only have to sell 5,000 a game, that's great. If you've only got 8,000, and now you got to go sell 9,000, it becomes much harder, right? So the season ticket holders, that's the big focus. And I think what we're going to find is because we won a championship, and also, to be honest, because we've been doing very well for the last couple of years, um, season ticket holders were moving up. COVID just slammed that pretty hard. Um, did you lose a lot of season ticket holders? I know obviously you had a lot of, you did. No, no, we did. We lost quite a bit. Um, and look, and I think they're all coming back now. Um, but we'll know in the next, you know, by the beginning of the season, we'll know, cause that's all everybody's focused on right now is just selling season tickets. So what is the opportunity now from an ownership side with a growing brand now with championship pedigree an international star and a platform company, in essence, what more can the Bucks do? I hope a lot more. I think we're going to find out. Um, I think that's the challenge for Peter and the rest of the team is that we, you know, from where we are today, which is something we dreamed of being, now that we're there, now how do we end up sort of growing that? Um, and look, and obviously the biggest thing is you got to keep on winning, right? I mean, uh, you got to make sure nobody gets hurt. Um, now you got to build around Giannis, Drew, and Chris and Brooke. Um, so hopefully we'll have a number of veterans who want to try to get a championship ring who are going to want to come and play for the Bucks. Okay. And I, I, you just said up. you just said that you have to make sure nobody gets hurt. How do you do that? How invested are you in in health and safety data analytics, and as well data analytics in terms of the whole business operation, collecting data from your customers, knowing what they want, reaching out to them. How much do you know about your customers and how much do you know about your players? How often do they sleep? Are they getting the right sleep? Load management's been a big deal in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, we have a gentleman, Troy Flanagan, who is, you know, he's been running 
um, everything for us on the health and safety side. Um, he's phenomenal. I mean, if you take a look at our team, um, you could see over the last two or three years uh, the health of our players. There hasn't been any real uh, major injuries. Um, and I think that's a lot because of what Troy and his staff have done. So I think we're just going to put more resources in that because we found that that's worked really well. So, um, you know, a lot of the credit for all this uh, really goes to Troy. Mark, I think one of the biggest stories in the NBA in the past 12 months outside of the Bucks championship has been uh, kind of this influx of, of private equity money that is coming into the league. I think at this point we've had four or five, six, something in that range, teams that have taken uh, money from private equity. You're a hedge fund guy. In a world where you didn't buy the Bucks, do you think that you know Avenue Capital would have been looking at this as a as a really interesting opportunity uh, for its hedge fund? What do you think is, is – is, is, do, do things change? What, what's the impact, do you think, of groups like Sixth Street and Dial increasing their, you know, their, their role in the league? I, look, I think it's great because it's long-term money. But really what they're doing, if you sort of think about it um, – they're looking at they're looking at our business and they're saying we think ten years from now um, the value of this should be double, right? I mean that's that's really that that's the bet people are making and they're making that bet on sort of two or three factors. The first one is they know the national TV contract's going to be coming up, so they hope it's going to be higher, right? Um, they don't know what it is. Nobody does. But the feeling is it'll be higher as opposed to lower, right? So, um, so that's that's the first bet. The second bet is they sort of feel that this is a business that's going to keep on growing, that there's going to be more folks who are going to be watching basketball than not. Um, and I think, you know, third for all of these, um, they sort of just view it as an investment that over the course of 10 years, um, it's a pretty safe investment. And, and when you sort of look at that, I think they're right, right? So, you know, the popularity of basketball is only going to grow. The popularity of media and basketball is only going to grow, China and everything else. So um, I think it's, <clears throat> you know, for us, it would not be, for my firm, it's not an investment because I don't have 10-year money. But for private equity, if you have 10-year money, it's a great investment. Do you think in in two years that 90% of the league has private equity investors to some degree in, in their team? How, how much do you think it proliferates moving forward? I, I think it'll keep on growing. I, I don't know. Um, you know, part of it is you've got to find people who want to sell, right? So, and you've got to come to an agreement on valuation. And I think... Um, I think that's kind of hard at times, um, but, you know, so far, so good. Now seems like the easiest time probably to find yeah. people that are at least interested in selling no, 2% no, or 3% or 4%. No, but that's what, because of what's happened, I, I think a lot of people, um, you know, there's a nervousness about COVID, about, um, you know, are things going to get back fully normal? It seems like they were, you know, when you look at the NBA finals, I think everything was pretty much back to normal. So, but if that continues and, you know, people worry about variants and people worry about all the different things. So, you know, in my view, um, that's why you've got a lot of people selling. Um, but, you know, five years from now, I think it'll be harder to buy. In terms of risk assessment, every time there are labor negotiations, 
you know, the owners would say, well, we have all the risk. And I understood that to be true because that's the capital at work. But I would always wonder like, well, what really, what is the risk? There is a, it's almost risk-free because you saw the asset appreciation. But COVID has turned me on, uh, on my tail on that one. You know, who saw that coming? So now I, I really almost think of, well, I, I think it does have, does have merit, but I just don't know what that risk is. Because who would have ever said, well, pandemic and a complete shutdown of a major revenue stream? Yeah, look, it's, um, there's a lot of risks to owning a team. I mean, it's, I, I'm more in your camp. I did not fathom a pandemic. I didn't fathom, but now, now you can look at that and say, wow, that, that actually is a real risk. And um, you need people in the stands. I mean, I think one of the things we found is it's, yeah, it's fine if it's on TV, but it's just not the same. And you, you miss the energy. So you need to have people there. Um, and, you know, the focus on the health and safety of sort of your players, of your fans. Uh, so I think going forward, there is this one big unknown um, that all of us are going to be worried about and hope that you don't have it again. But that, I mean, for the league and for everybody, I mean, people lost quite a bit of money over the course of the last year. Did you happen to catch the Tampa Bay Buccaneers championship rings on social media at all? I did. did. See I mean, I I'm not even sure if we should call them rings. I mean, they're so big. But those are football players. I know you guys are yeah. tall, but, you know. So give give us a little inkling as to uh, what a Bucks ring might entail. The, the diamonds, the uh, the weight. What, what what do we think we're looking at here? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's um, I, I sort of left that to our GM to figure out. Um, he's really? The GM it. gets to determine the rings? The GM does. I mean, it's uh, he's got all the jewelers in America calling him. To- <laughs> Is there competition? That's really interesting. Is there competition for jewelers to say, we want to be the one to design yeah. the rings? Yeah, there is. I think we've gotten five or 10 calls. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Any ins- how, do, how do they incentivize or just like, I got a better design or do you have any idea? Like, hey, look, pay us. It's new to me, but I assume what they do is, you know, if you're, uh, if you're ABC jewelers, you're going to say, Look, I just did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you know, DEF says I did the Patriots. And I, I assume that's what it is, but um, you, you know, should we'll put out an out. RFP for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Do a whole tender process. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty thousand, hundred thousand for the right to be the Milwaukee Bucks ring producer. I love this. It's another rev, op- uh, rev opportunity we did not know. There you go. Uh, Mark, did you watch uh, any of Giannis's uh, Instagram live videos, oh, either from the locker room or or from Chick Fil A line the day after? Just so you know, Evan is in love with this. He's in love with the Instagram. He loves it. I think it's fascinating. I think it's a really interesting look at how you know ten years ago, obviously when NBA champions were playing, everything had to come through journalists in the locker room or even the, the broadcaster. I think it's really interesting the way that and and it's been happening for a while. But I think Giannis really put it in stark relief how kind of the way that that athletes often are engaging with their fans is very direct and is outside of kind of the more traditional media avenues. Yeah, look, I saw it. I didn't see it live. I mean, I saw it afterwards. Um, You know, I think it's great. I think for, look, Giannis is uh, an exceptionally charismatic individual. And I think a lot of that is just because of, uh, uh, how honest he is about everything and just how full of life he is. You know, he loves, he just loves it. So he's having a great time and he should be. And he likes sharing that. And I think part of that is being young. 
Um, you know, the idea of me going to Chick-fil-A and live streaming it would not even remotely cross my mind. <laughs> That's because you're too busy on your TikTok. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you want you want to show us right now? You want to show us a little bit of your <laughs> your moves? Um, yeah, I just don't have any. But other than that, <laughs> uh, but that's what it is. So I think I, I think it's actually great. I think it's great for the league. It's um, it's great for the players. And, and to be honest with you, what it shows you is that you can do that anywhere. So whether you're in Milwaukee, you know, th- this whole notion of you need to be in New York, you need to be in L.A. Um, I think what Giannis has shown you is not even remotely. I mean, you could be, you know, if, if you're in Wisconsin and you're going – I mean, imagine, just imagine this way. I would say to you six months ago, look, we are going to live stream one of our players going to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you know, you would have just, yeah, that's what, exactly what? what you'd be doing. <laughs> you'd be laughing and going, listen, man, you need to go get checked out. Uh, <laughs> there's something wrong with you. And yet, I have no idea how many views it got, but that is the, that to me, what that shows you, and I think it shows to everybody, is all you have, wherever you are, all that it counts is who you are and what you've done, and people will follow you. I have one other Giannis question, real quick. Um, he's obviously he's he's from Greece. He has a tremendous overseas following. Um, what kind of avenues are open for you guys from an international standpoint, from a business standpoint? Because your star is not just an American uh, superstar, but he's a he's a star in, in another part of the world. You know, it, it's hard. I mean, it, it really is because, um, you know, one of the things you'd love to do is you'd love to have some exhibition games. You'd love to be able to do things. Um, it's just difficult to do, right? So, and I think part of that, that's number one. Number two is really during the off. And the only time you can do these things is during the off season. But what you sort of find is during the off season, everybody really wants to relax. And so I, I think we can do sponsorship deals with companies in Greece, right? You'll be able to do that. But do you it, have those now? Um, we have some, I think we'll get more. Um, but that that's going to be the goal is to try to end up trying to do more sponsorship deals with more global companies as opposed to U.S. companies. All right, Mark, we'll let you go on this because I'm an idea man. So you just let me know. I, li- I like to throw the ideas out. If it works for you, great. But you said they like to relax, um, but you do want that exposure. I don't know. I-, I think you can do some pretty good relaxation in Greece during the off season. Yeah. yeah we-, we get a big yacht. The team gets to relax. We take two, three weeks together. But then there's an exhibition game. And of course, it's, you know, it's not going to be hard contact. It'd be like a, you know, a regular all-star game. But an exhibition game, maybe some skill stuff. Uh, on the Parthenon. You talk about backdrops and the NHL has its outdoor games, court on the Parthenon and a cruise for the Bucks. That's a winning idea. Everybody wins. I I actually think it's a fabulous idea. Um, I'm done for the week. That's it? All right. So well, we I get go, one a week. My wife tells me I get one a week, so I'm done. All right. So if we go do it, I'll make sure you come. All right. Boom. That's, what he, was going, that's, what, he was, that's what he was going for. Boom. That's what he was going for? <laughs> he just wanted the trip. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. Oh, boom. Mark Lassery, Kuhn and Milwaukee Bucks. Thank you so much for taking some time and joining us. Thanks a lot, Scott. Take care. So, Eben, so many great things for Mark. I mean, we always think about headlines and titles, and there's the private equity, there's the leaky roof at the practice facility, there's Giannis. I'm I'm going to Greece, by the way. There you go. I'm going to Greece. 
Genius idea. Some of your ideas not so great. The one that gets you a trip to uh, to Greece with an NBA team seems hey, like hanging hanging with the Bucks <laughs> in, in Greece is going to be. Pro- now I've been to Greece, so it's not like first timer. I loved it, so I'm I'm just fine going back. I'll have to make sure I bring the sunscreen, get, buy some white shirts, <laughs> so I look all good. I mean, but what was your big takeaway? I mean, it's got to be the rings, right? I, I think that that's fascinating. I've never thought. I, I kind of assumed that teams, maybe maybe even leagues, have have deals with jewelers to to make this a very easy process uh, for the team that wins the championship. I love the idea of of jewelers around the country. The minute a champion gets crowned, immediately shooting out their bona fides and some resume off to to team owners and team executives to try to get that business. I think that'd be a great story. Uh, first of all, but well, I, the, I think I'm going to assign it to somebody. What do you mean? You think it'd be a great yeah, story? It yeah. is. I love it. Look for that in Sportico on Friday. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah and, and as you know, the 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 arms race, for lack of a better word, for 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 jewelry champion or championship jewelry is insane. The, those bucks ones with the top that comes off that has a little to scale replica of the stadium inside. These things get bigger and bigger. They get crazier and crazier. And I love the idea of, of, of companies competing to do it. Yeah, what's that company that does like the college and the high school? Jostens, Jostens. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's everyone owned, will know. I mean, everyone's yeah, seen the catalogs, right? It, it's owned by Varsity Brands and Bain Equity. Um, Oh, well, that's, well, you know, Bain is Steve Pagliuca, part owner of the Celtics, so that's no bueno. I'm pretty sure that's its own. Hold on, I'll look it up while <laughs> you're... I'll call uh, you can see if they're in on the here. bidding. Excellent. All right, he is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter, at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter, at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman, and she loves it when I tell everybody that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.